Welcome to Indonesia Digital Deconstructed, where we break apart and dive deep into the different parts of the Indonesian tech scene to get an insider's look into how each space is evolving. Leveraging off our research, proprietary insights, and working with leading entrepreneurs, we'll bring you the insider's view of the industry as we navigate our way around one of the world's fastest growing tech scenes. Welcome back to IDD. I'm your host, Leighton Kosboom, head of PR and comms at AC Ventures. In this Mindshare episode, we will explore fintech's impact on economic inclusion in Indonesia. With us today to discuss are two experts on the bleeding edge. Tessa Wijaya is the co-founder and COO of Zendit, one of Indonesia's latest unicorns and sometimes referred to as the Stripe of Indonesia. Zendit is a fintech company that provides payment solutions for businesses and individuals in Southeast Asia. Gita Prihanto is the COO at Flip, a fintech company that enables users to make payments, transfer money, pay bills, and purchase goods and services from their mobile devices. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hi, thanks for having us. Tessa, I just want to jump in. I'll start with you. Uh, for our audience members who may be new to you know, the fintech world in Indonesia, can you give a brief overview of how Zendit came to be one of the largest digital payments players in the region? Yeah, sure. So I think if you're thinking about payments, and especially if you're coming from outside of Southeast Asia, payment seems like a no-brainer, right? You can just whip out your credit card, you can even tap your card now, and there does not need to be a Zendit. If you think about, especially Indonesia, 2015, 2016, we are playing in a place where cards are not the way you make payments. Credit card penetration was at about 3% at the time. I think still is, sits about at about 3%. So if you need to make a payment, it needs to be an alternative payment methods. And, and when you do that, a lot of the time, it was done in a very manual manner. Right? It was really hard to make a bank transfer from one place to another, for example. It's really hard to do seamless automated payments with real-time um, settlement. Uh, I know a lot of dry, boring words here, but um, basically payment infrastructure did not exist. And that was why Zendit was able to come in and really take over the market. We were the first to roll out world-class APIs, right? So a new way of making payments for a new kind of digital era. We're the first to be able to deliver fully automated payments. So if you need to do a refund, for example, you don't need to pick up the phone and somebody you know types in the background and, and does a transfer manually. We're the first to bring in you know customer success, world-class customer success that can solve for your problems in real time as well, right? Not just say, hey, wait up. So really, we've been so super hyper-focused on providing seamless payments for businesses that want to go digital. And that's why we've been able to succeed in Southeast Asia. And so what were some of the things that, you know, you and, and Moses saw in SMEs in particular in Indonesia? You know, what were the pain points that they were experiencing that you thought, hey, you know, that's something we can solve. That's something we know. So how are you able to move this, to this newly digital world? I remember um, I used to start my chats to customers, to, to partners by showing the contents of my wallet, which included probably like three to five of those little tokens because we had like multiple bank accounts, three to five different cards, e-money, this and that. Payments were super fragmented. P payments were super, super difficult to make in an automated manner. Uh, payments basically was not existent online. And, and that was really the thing that we were trying to solve for, right? How do you, how, is a, how does a country that have mobile penetration that's more than 100% using Instagram, Facebook on a daily manner, people who are ready to come online, how can you 
essentially be able to operate online, make money online and move to this digital world. And that's what we were trying to solve. So Gita, let's let's go over to you here for a second. Can you talk a bit about Flip's vision? Why is the company unique and, and, and what role is it playing in driving economic inclusion in, in places like Indonesia? How are you guys, you know, I guess, different than uh, from the Zendits of the world? So Flip was built seven years ago uh, without having a North Star company in mind. Uh, we basically started with trying to solve a real pain point in Indonesian consumer banking, which is a costly interbank transfer as it costed us about 6500 rupiah to make interbank transaction which actually the same money you can go, you can use to buy food at warung so the founders then built a manual proof of concept process they use you know google form excel sheet for college friends but one hour after they send that to family and friends founders saw a stranger putting their name and transferring 2 million rupiah which is a big money and it's quite an epiphany or a refilling moment for them because who is this stranger? They don't know. They don't know the founder, which is like three university students, and trusting them with only Google Form to send two million rupiah in order to just save fifty cents, right? So that is an aha moment that it's something there. It's 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 a big pain points for consumer in Indonesia, and that's what Flip is trying to solve. Our vision is to be the most customer centric financial technology company enables users to do fair financial transaction from anywhere to anyone. We use the word fair here from fairness in doing business. That means we help users to execute various money transactions at a reasonable or low and transparent cost. And we are committed to provide reliable solution for our user. Because of our focus in bank transfer, it helped us to grow because to just give you some data from Bank Indonesia, majority of transaction or payment in Indonesia is still driven by bank transfer. Credit card transaction in a year uh, values around $20 billion. E-money is around $40 billion, but bank transfer, and I'm talking only about the retails one, is trillions of dollars. And close to 50% of that is actually interbank. So that's where we play. So we are unique because right now we have this large user base with low user acquisition cost because of the nature of P2P, we have a huge network effect. And on top of that, we become the only consumer financial platform with an interoperable ecosystem. So with this unique position, we have a lot of opportunities to build on top of our existing solution and to fill the white space in this promising market. And you're also asking about economic inclusion and our role towards developing that in Indonesia. Economic inclusion means better access, more usage, and higher quality service. So Flip is active in promoting economic inclusion by building an accessible, affordable, and high quality money transfer product. And this opens more usage. We enable micropreneurs to accept payment from their customer who doesn't have the same bank account. So these allow them to tap into bigger market. That's one of the few stories that I can share on how we actually contribute to economic inclusions in Indonesia. So Tessa, what were some of the key levers that your team pulled in the early days to gain a foothold and in, in momentum in the Indonesian market? Obviously, you you didn't start out as like this all-encompassing you know, fintech uh, uh, juggernaut as you, as you guys are today, right? So what were, what was the, the very first thing you did and what were the key plays that you guys executed to, to I don't know, to gain momentum? We started out actually much like Flip, and then we realized that payments was so fragmented, it was not even possible at the time to, to make this app easy to use by customers. 
we actually got asked by some of our startup friends. They were like, hey, how, how are we able to make transfers real time? Can you build it for my business? And that was how we started out. Uh, so really, what levers that we pull? We also changed the way payments work. I think much like what Gita was saying, right? Payments, especially 2015, 2016, it was so expensive for a business to come online. A lot of times you have to integrate to every bank. You have to wait three to six months. And how can you do that when you're a business? You want to start now, right? Because if you can't accept payments, why would you even start a business? And then pricing was was really complex. You you have like setup fees. If you cancel the integration or if you stop using the product, you get fine and whatever else. So we were the first to really bring transparent pricing to the payment space for businesses. We just said, you know what? Integrate to us. It's free. It's fine. Our APIs are public, right? You can access us anytime when you make a transfer or when you accept payments. Great. You can, you can pay us for that. If you don't, that's okay. You don't have to pay us. If you want to stop using us, that's also fantastic. But also, by the way, let us know what went wrong because we want to make our product better. So I think that was also extremely key. And then last but not least, world-class customer service or customer success. I'm super proud of that because that's been my baby. I actually started out that department. And again, that was something that was not available. People couldn't reach out and their problem solved immediately, right? So so I think those were the key levers, which sounded like a no-brainer, but things that really led us to success today. So I think what's part of the conversation with Zendit these days is, you know, your expansion in Southeast Asia. So just kind of want to understand what is your overall strategy for doing this and how are you building, you know, these moats in different markets? Maybe if you could highlight a market or two where you are, you're doing something different than what you're doing in Indonesia that might add some, some extra color. I would love to hear it. Definitely for Zendit, we do aim to be the stripe of Southeast Asia. And why that is, is because a lot of people think, you know, hey, Southeast Asia is all the same. You go into Indonesia, Philippines, there, there's no difference. What's the big deal? But obviously, people who are playing in this market understand that not all countries are like, we have different cultures, we have different problems, we're at different phases, right? You can't say that, well, payment problems we have in Indonesia are going to be the same in Philippines or Vietnam. So I think for, for Zendit, the strategy has been to understand how to hyper-localize our products, to understand what the pain points are. Let me give you a really real example. In Indonesia, when we first started out, the big problem was with disbursements, so with transferring money. In the Philippines, slightly different. A lot of people are still accepting money via cash. So how do you move that to sort of online? How do you move that online? And how do you do that in a way that's easy and seamless? Beauty of Philippines, by the way, is we can skip bank transfer altogether because, you know, we built direct debit in Philippines because people already had cards now. So we can actually shift them from cash direct to something a little bit more easy, like direct debit rather than Indonesia, where you know, a lot of times we're still doing payments via bank transfer, for example. But really the way we think about uh, Southeast Asia is how do we understand local nuances? How do we understand who the players are? How do we aggregate methods of payments? And how do we turn that into one package so that regional or international players can come integrate with us once and they don't need to see what's happening in the background. They don't need to see the complexities we can solve all those problems for them. All they need to know is to be able to accept payments in whatever method, they can do that instantly. Settlement can happen instantly. And there are no problems for them to be able to do business in Southeast Asia. That's interesting to hear that, you know, you're able to go straight to direct debit. So that's that's one massive way that market is is different from the Indonesian market. So Gita, let's let's jump back to you for a second. In line with kind of what she just mentioned, I want to understand Flip's remittance service a little bit more. Can you give us a 
background on this part of of flip and you know provide maybe some some color and texture about how important it is to your to your vision and your business at large so just like any other products that we have we call the flip look our international remittance product actually started with conversation with consumers so when we talked to them we found out that there is an overlap within our domestic transfer user with international transfer user because some of them actually have these needs to send money outside. And what we understood from them back then is that the existing solution mostly are very expensive, have unclear SLA as well as unclear flow, right? So when we found that out, we feel that we already have the technology and big backbone on transfer and we've developed it very well in a scale way for domestic. I think we are in the, in the right position to actually tap on this. So we developed proof of concept and this is back in... 2019. Uh, and then basically we share that to our select consumers, our select users, and the reaction was really well done. And then we checked again uh, with, you know, the total addressable market. And we found out that there are up to $7.5 billion of value of people actually sending money outside of Indonesia. And there has not been a clear leader in the non-bank space. So that's why we were thinking, you know what, let's do this. And since then we developed, uh, you know, a product properly in our apps with dedicated team, dedicated technology, and we committed to actually grow this business. And this business definitely have important a role in our overall strategy. Gita, what is, in your view, what is there to be said about the rise of fully digital banks in Indonesia? You know, we have players, you know, like Bank Raya, we have BCAs making, making their play, Mandiri is doing theirs. What does it mean for the nation's underbanked population and do you see any sort of potential cooperation developments between Flip and these incumbents? Is it, you know, purely a, a competitive dynamic? I think digital bank right now is still trying to win the heart of the bankable segment, in my view, especially the affluent and mass segment in the urban and suburban area, because they are the lower hanging fruit segment, right? They are more technology technologically savvy. They understand and appreciate the value of easy access and convenience, and they also have higher economic activity. So it's great that we have the rises of full digital bank lately, especially during the pandemic. And I can see an increase in adoption uh, continue going forward, especially within this segment. I think there are still some work that needs to be done in order to tap the underbank segment for this digital banking. And I think at this point of time, I believe that there are still requiring a certain offline support, for example, offline agents or working together with a retail store partner or maybe a small branch. Because I think with the underbank segment, there's still this eeriness, you know, by having a lack of physical presence, right? So I think I think that's still the situation, but I'm very hopeful, very hopeful given enough investment in education that the underbank segment adoption will grow more and definitely looking forward to working together especially having the banks as our source of fund, for example, or having them as our destination account and basically helping the users in this underbank segment, those who for sure is cost aware, right? They want to save more and help them to do interbank transfer once this adoption go bigger. So Tessa, kind of in the similar track as, as that question regarding, you know, state-owned incumbents, and regulators and, and regulation. What are some of the things that you guys are working on with regulators? What are you what are you grappling with? What are the challenges in Indonesia? And if you if you'd like to give examples of you know an, another ASEAN country, yeah, we just would love to hear what's what are some of your highlights and lowlights 
of this year or the past 12 months? Yeah, look, I think I'd like to say that regulators are often misunderstood in Indonesia, all over Southeast Asia, probably all over the world, right? I think um, really we'd like to, to think about here, especially in a market like Southeast Asia, is to be able to kind of work together and to collaborate. I think what's been really good is to see, not just in Indonesia, but across the region, regulators starting to understand that digitalization is a must, right? It's not an option. No matter what, we're all going to go digital. And therefore, we have to think about this new world. It's great to see that incumbents understanding that interoperability, for example, in payments is super duper important. So doing things to make payments more simple and easy as well, right? Things like consolidating QR code, I think that's super fantastic, right? Can you imagine now I can go to Singapore, go to a hawker center and, and buy my food with just a scan of the QR code? That's pretty, pretty awesome, I think. Uh, lowering prices, again, you were talking about, you know, BI fast. I think that's great. That's great for consumers. That's great for us. That's great for businesses as well. So I think, I think the way I see it is that collaboration is extremely important. And now when we're talking about collaboration, we're seeing that we're part of the ecosystem. We're not here, for example, to kill banks, right? We're here to work with them because I think no matter what, everyone has a part to play to be able to provide simplified payments to consumers. Actually, a lot of it is also about communication. Like, hey, what are we doing? What are you guys doing? How do we make each other comfortable, right? How do we, how do we focus on things that we care about, which is on the payment side, it would be things like, payment security, reliability, protecting the consumer, you know, obviously all that, all that good stuff. And if we can work all that out, I think everybody can work together and get to that same finish line. In terms of uh, working together and kind of, you know, expanding sort of the, the halo of, of Zendit, can you run us through a, a few of your strategic investments, Bank Sahabat, Zamporna, Dragon Pay, et cetera? And how do these investments tie into your long-term strategy? So partnering, investing in the likes of Dragon Pay, I think it's, it's a great strategy because we've already got people on the ground. We've got people who already have the right partnerships. We can also help out Dragon Pay with our tech, right? So it's a win-win overall. So I think that's really the way we, we think about expansion and investments and, and partnering. In terms of our investment in, in Bank Sahabat Sampurna, again, it's a no-brainer. They were, they were one of the first banks to be extremely open to work with tech startups. Um, they started working with us in, in 2017 when nobody else looked at us, right? I think we forget, by the way, now there are so many startups that everyone's open, but back in 2015, 2016, nobody knew what startups were in Indonesia. Chances working with banks were few and far between for, for Moses and I. So having the likes of BSS being so open, that's been fantastic. So for us, it was a no-brainer to make that investment so that we can develop even more products with them. For a bank, they're extremely agile, they're extremely open to new tech, and they've been very open to working with us together to develop new products. So I think um, exciting things to come. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit here because you guys are both the, the fintech and economic inclusion experts here. I want to invite you guys to just kind of ask top of mind questions to each other about where the space is headed, what each other's businesses are, are doing. Just, just anything that might be on your mind. Tessa, why don't, why don't we start with you? Gita, Zendis started as a peer-to-peer -peer app. Obviously, we pivoted because we thought, wow, it's a really tough space to play uh, when it comes to a place where payments is extremely fragmented. What are your thoughts now? What's it been like in the past few years working in the space where, where you're dealing with consumers and trying to attract them to come online? What are the challenges? So I think what we've learned is that 
when we try to create this solution for the consumer, we realize that for them, the product development is actually simpler in a sense that we just need to cater and we just need to solve that one job to be done. We just transfer money freely. So even when we when we started quite patchy, the customer understand it as long as we stay through and deliver with what, what we promised. And I think that kind of approach of focusing on the single job to be done and evolving along the way, it has been something that makes us where we are right now. The challenge that we have so far is to replicate the same success that we have in P2P transfer to other products. That has been what we have been trying to do with this network effect. And we've been growing pretty well with that word of mouth. I think that has been the highlight as well as the challenges that we are facing, but we are quite proud with the progress that we have so far. Any cool customer stories, by the way? Yeah, so uh, maybe I can share a story when I spoke to some of our customer early this year, no, early last year, 2022, and we, you know, try to understand why did they use Flip because it sees one of our, you know, loyal user and we talked to them and, and this is where we found out about how we actually help the micropreneurs as well growing their business because he mentioned that she had a home business and she basically selling things to friends and family through WhatsApp WhatsApp groups and through Instagram. And she said that with Flip, it helps her to convince uh, some customer who doesn't have her bank account, right, to actually still make payment via Flip. Because uh, particularly this customer, she, she only have a Sharia bank account and a lot of the user or, or the customer doesn't have a Sharia bank account, so they have to pay the interbank costs. And, this, and she basically just keep promoting us, why don't you pay me via Flip? You know, it can help you and it, it doesn't give you any cost. And that's, I found, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. We actually helped this. Uh, for her case, it's it's a mom working home printer. I actually have a question, Tess. Maybe now it's my turn. What is your thoughts with, you know, the, the SNAP regulation, you know, whereby the Bank of Indonesia basically asked us all of the payment service provider to basically implement this standard API, right? So we can connect with each other better, faster. Any any thoughts on that? And how do you think that will impact Sendit business in general? I actually think governance regulations, I think it's good. I'm not, I'm not all for, you know, everything being free for all. I think there are certain things that businesses who are obviously going to be focusing on profit should be, should be delivering. And then there are other things where governments have to enforce, right. In order to be able basically to make the most bang for our buck so that consumers can have an easier time. So I think BI snap, I think that's coming from a really great place, right being able to standardize so that every bank can have that same standard of APIs, I think it's, it's fantastic. I think it means that for consumers as well as businesses alike, it will be much, much easier for them to use financial products in market. Is that a challenge for Zendit? I don't quite think so because I think the room where we play, yes, APIs were something that we were really proud of rolling out, but we're also doing a lot more things like we're aggregating payments from all these different banks, right? And, and wallets and whatever else. We're also helping to roll out QR codes with Bank of Indonesia. We're also promoting a lot of unified payments now regionally, not just in Indonesia. So I think I think having that standardization in each market is important for us to be able to play there as well. Again, these types of moves, I think, are really brave and really good for regulators to do. Moving towards being able to use the same kind of standardized QR code, for example, to make a payment in many different countries, like you can go to Thailand, Singapore, whatever, make a payment just by scanning a QR code. I think it's great. And I think with those kinds of push, it will enable Zendit 
to provide even better products for the businesses who come on our platform. Oh, yeah. I do want to ask a question. I know this is like a timeless, maybe timeless podcast, or it, it might be around somewhere forever and ever, but it's close to International Women's Day. Yeah, Gita, what what do you think? I mean, we're we're a pretty rare breed here, being CEOs of tech companies, um, very male-centric world. It's 2023. You message for people out there, uh, men and women alike, about the role of women in fintech. I think just in general, in tech company and especially fintech, I would encourage a lot of um, uh, leaders, both female and and male, to to basically promote and encourage representation within their leadership and especially their employees because I believe by having women on board it actually will be good for their business right because with the representation then you can understand more the behavior of let's say 50% of your users right like your user must be 50% male 50% female right and if you only have males in the decision making board and you have if you only have males who develop product you would not understand a specific pain points that actually cater to 50% of the market and that would be an opportunity loss so i would encourage everybody especially the leadership to start thinking about you know having representation in this case having female in your company and especially in the decision making board to help you understand your market better, to help you also understand your employee better, right? To help you understand your stakeholder better. And I think a lot of research has shown that the result of that is undisputably positive for the business. Yeah. What about you, Tessa? What's your thoughts? Every year I get asked these kinds of questions, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be the cliche or just because I'm a woman, I'm always asked a female centric question, but being at Zendit really opened my eyes. There are so many women who come in the workforce, so many excited young females coming in, wanting to participate in this, this whole fintech thing, wanting, wanting to make a change. And at some point people drop off. And I think that's really sad. I think I agree with you completely. We need more female representation, but how do we do that? We need more more women to stay in the workforce. And so I think um, I've been really passionate about this. I think you're right. If more women stay in the workforce, then we we can probably understand our consumers better. We can have more diversity and it's always good for for companies to, to have this. We need to figure out how to crack that. I can't believe there are only two of us. I think we need to make that change ever so slowly, but surely. 